After the success of the first Baseline podcast, the question naturally arises, and I'm going to ask it. What will Dave Wallace and Adrian Ware do for an encore? Well, they plan many, many encores. And Adrian Ware, as the CEO of Cavendish Ware, has spent a long time accumulating wisdom that he really wants to pass on to listeners of this show. So today, you'll hear Adrian and Dave touch on the hot-button topics that they will cover in future episodes, ranging from risk to cryptocurrency, to the magic of compound interest, preparing the next generation to learn great wealth habits, and who knows, maybe at some point, a bass solo. In the meantime, enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks for tuning in to episode two of Baseline. From the studios of NMD Plus comes Baseline. Baseline, brought to you by Cavendish Ware, a UK-based boutique wealth management firm that provides truly bespoke advice. Cavendish Ware, wealth for life. And now is your host, Dave Wallace. Welcome to today's podcast. And Adrian, after the success of the first one, and thank you so much for the story behind Cavendish Ware. What I was keen to chat to you about a bit more today is what we want to achieve through the podcast series. So, you know, what are some of the themes that you sort of think are really important for you as an advisory firm, but, you know, also for your clients to be thinking about? And what are those themes that we'll pick up over the next few months? I think what we're trying to achieve here is not one single thing. Hopefully there's an element of education in there. There's an element of information and just being informative, hopefully trying to be interesting and maybe entertaining at times. <laughs> People can't see, but you've got a line of guitars behind you. So worst comes to the worst, you can play us a tune. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Be careful what you wish for, Dave. But yeah, relevant, helpful, that sort of stuff. I see it as something where we're covering a lot of different areas and it'll be sometimes things that we feel are particularly relevant to a client situation, you know, conceptual stuff. Just getting an understanding of risk, for instance. What is risk? What does it actually mean? How do we use it? I mean, it's an emotional, scary term and yet actually risk is good in many ways and that getting people to understand what we mean by risk is really healthy. Certainly for me, that's an area which I'm fascinated by because I think risk is obviously incredibly important as part of understanding a customer's needs, but risk changes over time. So one of the things that I sort of wonder about is you kind of get these snapshots of risk and is that good? Is that fair? You know, as circumstances change, how do you stay on top of these things? So I guess that's an incredibly rich topic to talk about. I agree. So you've got things like that. I think looking at emerging trends that are happening in terms of the market generally, you've got things at the moment. I mean, we touched on it last time, so, you know, ESG yeah. and ethical and impact. And you can't pick up a newspaper or listen to a radio program on finance without ESG coming into the framework. What does it mean? What does it really mean? And what's the impact of people? And is it right for people? And just getting an understanding of that sort of stuff. So touching on those sorts of issues, but also practical issues, you know, the dangerous in my wish list of being entertaining and informative and all the rest of it. Sometimes we're going to touch some pretty dry subjects because some of the stuff there is important, you know. 
we've often talked about needs around pensions and, you know, mention the word pension and my brain goes to sleep, to be honest with you. But as I'm discovering, as I pass my mid-century, it's a very necessary thing to be thinking about and talking about. We spend a lot of time with clients talking about and putting in place financial plans, but are people actually protecting those plans against right. the same thing? So, you know, you go under the proverbial bus or you have long-term injury, what do you do and what effect is it? And should we look at the whole protection suite and how does that filter into the planning side? All the way up to tax-advantaged investments. What are they? How do they work? Again, coming back to that word of risk, what are the risks involved and are they right for people? Things like venture capital trusts and enterprise investments. So there's a whole range of different things that we can touch on. I think the other thing I'd quite like to do as we go through this is we've got some really fascinating people that we know, both clients and just you know connections that we have, that we forget how lucky we are in terms of talking to these people and that what they have and what they can share would be fascinating. I'd love to get some of them on here just to talk to a wider audience. So it's not necessarily finance related, although we'll touch on it, but there's points of interest. When we've chatted before, I think one of the things I've been fascinated by is how you've got pockets of real expertise around particular sectors as well. The media, people in the financial services industry themselves. So you know, to me, that is a really interesting area to kind of look at, particularly if you're involved in the media, you know, what are some of the things that you should be thinking about? And then, of course, there's going to occasionally be things that affect us right now. Well, I was going to say as a client, you know, I'm really waking up in a cold sweat about things like inflation at the moment. And, you know, what does that mean in terms of the coming year and my investments and, you know, what I should be thinking about. So, yeah, the other big one at the moment is obviously COVID. So, you know, with Omicron on the rise, you know, it's what's going to happen. So I think picking up some of those themes would be fantastic. It's been a hell of a way to learn the Greek alphabet, hasn't it? But yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I do have to say that Omicron really does kind of take the bullet in terms of sounding serious. You know, Delta and Beta and Alpha all sounded sort of fairly mild, to be honest with you. You need one of those sort of voiceover guys, you know, Omicron. I know. You've got to say it in the right That's thing. what I've been saying to my kids. It sounds like the Transformers, doesn't yeah. it? You know, so, yeah. yeah, well, hopefully we won't get to Omega by the end of the year. You well, know. Yeah, we all become, you know, pocket virologists. I think you used that um, to me before and... There is a danger in that. We all read and listen to this stuff and all of a sudden we're armchair experts on it all. But I hope that we're getting towards the end of the worst of this now. You know, it's been incredible to sort of see the swings on the stock market, purely based on, I guess, sentiment around whether COVID's coming or going, to be honest with you. Exactly. So just understanding some of the impacts of what goes on in the media. And again, you've always said to me, you don't think about the short term, think about all of these things in the longer term. But it can be quite difficult to do when you see massive changes in terms of your investment portfolio. The funny thing about what we do on the investment side is it's counterintuitive. It's an awful lot easier to predict and tell you what's most likely to happen in the long term rather than, you know, I can tell you very likely what's going to happen over 10 years. Over a year, that's a lot harder. And over a month, that's harder again. So you would think it would be the other way around, but it's not because there are so many things that are outside of our control. You've got to focus on understanding the lessons from history and not panicking. It's a mantra within the firm. I mean, you've heard me say it many times, I'm sure many people have, but sometimes the best answer is to do nothing and actually not panic. Don't just do something, stand there, basically. 
I guess if you sort of look back over the last couple of years, that's been a textbook example of doing exactly that, to be honest with you. Winding forward a decade, you'll probably look back and say, well, actually, you know, there were some highs and lows, but they levelled off in the longer term. We know that over the next three years, there will be a peak to trough correction in the markets of at least 15%. In fact, we'll probably see one every year. Over the next five years, there will be at least a 50% fall, and there will be a major event at some point in the next eight, nine years. We don't know when, we don't know what will cause it. And actually, you can go round and round in circles trying to work out what it is. You go mad. I mean, our crystal ball is no better or no worse than anybody else's. What you have to do is understand the principles behind what you're doing and behind the plan. And time is a great healer. There has never been a time in recorded data, and this goes back over 100 years now, of a 10-year period, any 10-year consecutive period, where a basket of global equities has not given a positive real rate of return. In other words, it's beaten inflation, which is its fundamental first line of what we're trying to achieve. It's beaten inflation every single time. So that's why I can say with some strength behind my argument, I know what's going to happen over the next 10 years. Because if you invest in equities, they will go up. I can't guarantee it, but you've got a very strong probability of that being the case. But could I say that over the next six months or two months or day? No. I mean, I've got a question as a client. With that in mind, you every quarter or even probably a bit more regular tweak the portfolios. Are you sort of like projecting out and saying, well, look, what's going on in the US or Japan or whatever, you know, that's really worth kind of leaning into. I'm kind of interested in that. What's the sort of thinking often behind all of these things? Yep, that is a big subject with Lance, our CIO, another time properly. But in simple terms, yeah, our process is, we're trimming sales is the best analogy I would use. But we've got a very good idea of where we're going. We know we're at A and we want to get to B. So you're adjusting for things, but you're always asking the question, you know, I could be wrong. You know, our crystal ball is no better than anybody else's. Portfolio management is about understanding the probabilities, managing the portfolio against it. Not everything in a portfolio will be going in the same direction at the same time. And in fact, if they were, we'd be slightly worried. We're trying to get that balance. I think a lot of people get this impression of investment management, portfolio management. They see sort of the Wolf for Wall Street or some other sort of film, and <laughs> they expect these people shouting on phones and, you know, buy, sell. And all that. <laughs> if you walk into a dealing room in an asset management house, it is a place of calm, quiet consideration. There's lots of investment research going on, but and they spend a lot of time researching. Once they've made the investment, they're making that investment usually for quite a long period of time. Their intention is to invest 18 months, two years, three years out. And sometimes they will hold the investments for a lot longer. So it's not about trying to speculate and trying to buy the market and sell the market. There is a huge amount of study that shows that the people who do that, by and large, your average day trader has a survival period of eight months. I think that's the last stat I see. <laughs> they go in with gusto, they do all these courses, they learn all about how to do it or whatever it might be, and they run out of money in eight months' time because they're driven by emotion. We're human beings. It's emotion that drives many of our decisions. And it's that behavioral side to our nature. We're herd-like, aren't we? That makes us do bad things. So another brilliant statistic for you, which I love. It was a few years old, but it kind of transcends dates. 
and it's an American study because in America they have a lot of people who run their own PA accounts, they run their private accounts for buying and selling stocks and shares. It's quite an American thing. And if you looked at the particular time period, it was a 10 year time period, I think, the average return that you would have got if you just put your money at the start into the index, the S&P 500 index, which is the main US index for stocks, and you'd have held it for the 10 years, you'd have come out with an annualized return of something like 7, 7.1% per annum. Right. They then looked at the actual experience of people who were therefore investing. This was through one of the big sort of houses, so they had all the data. And the average return for those guys was just a shade over 2% per annum. Right. And that's purely because they were being driven. They were buying the highs of the market. They were selling in panic when the market was nearing its lows. They were doing everything that they shouldn't be doing. And they believed that they could outguess the market. Because we all believe we're cleverer than we probably are, don't we? It's so fascinating because I absolutely understand the fundamental principle you're describing but that hasn't stopped me going off and building a crypto portfolio (laughs) you know as of today i'm looking at it going oh god you know what have i done type thing i mean crypto is a great example of people chasing the highs and you know selling low and buying high i've been doing this a long time and i have a feeling or a theory that for many of us we kind of need that bit of adrenaline injection sometimes we need the buzz and we've got quite a few clients who run alongside the main portfolios that we do for them we run a little account or they have an account which we refer to as their play-doh account and it's where they make those decisions and you know sometimes they'll do better than us sometimes they won't but it keeps them engaged they enjoy doing it as long as the core of what you've got you know is on track and it's going to give you what you need it all comes back to the planning I think having that bit of engagement is not a bad thing, but you're playing with money that you've got to be able to understand that you could lose it and people do lose it. I think you're right. You know, one of the things which has been interesting, you know, again, is a topic that I'd really like to kind of discuss as part of this series is getting your kids more involved in things like that. And I guess one of the things that crypto has done is it's opened the door to the idea of investment for kids. So you can't move on TikTok without somebody telling you how to get rich quick and things like that. Now, obviously, what you don't want to do is see your children go and waste lots of money on quackery, frankly. But on the other side, what you don't want is your kids to be sticking money in savings account and seeing that being eroded by inflation. What's been kind of interesting about the last couple of years is just how the profile for investment has risen. You know, again, I think it's a brilliant time to be an advisor because ultimately people, as you say, will lose money. And ultimately, I think what people need is people to help them make sense of what's going on. So anyway, I think that whole thing around the intergenerational kind of wealth transfer aspect is really interesting. But I do think the younger generation are a lot more aware of investment than perhaps we were when we were their age. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's certainly true of my children and other clients of ours and other friends of ours. Yeah, exactly. Echo that entirely. There is a sense, though, if all you've actually lived through in a sort of conscious adult life is a young adult is a time when investments go up, don't they? You've never actually experienced a proper bump in the road. And you've then got stories floating around on social media telling you that, yeah, these things called Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies and whatnot are doing fantastically well. And of course, everybody talks about their wins. They don't necessarily talk about their losses. I mean, that's the classic sort of approach anyway. 
I think the Bitcoin generation and the whole cryptocurrency thing is fascinating. I couldn't call it at the moment. There is plenty of articles out there suggesting that it's one great big Ponzi scheme. And they might be right. I really don't know. It's do you really understand what you're doing? That's not for you to necessarily answer, but do you really understand what it is that you're investing in and why you're investing in it and what is driving that market? I think there is an element, and I've seen this is exactly the same thing. It's quite attractive, isn't it, for our children to go and put money into that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, zing, you know, they've doubled their money, they've tripled their money. Now, we know, I think we know, that that is an unsustainable return. If you invest in a business that you grow and you nurture and you really understand it and you manage to sell it for a multiple on exit, well, that's a different kettle of fish. But something like that, is that really going to happen? So there is an element that makes me feel maybe it is a good lesson for somebody to lose some money along the way and actually realise that life is just not that easy. But you're quite right equally if the corollary of that is that they become incredibly nervous and all they do is stick it in the bank or the bill society where they are guaranteed to lose money in real terms that's not the answer either so there's got to be a process of proper education that they get and i think that's where our generation needs to do that with our kids we need to make sure that they understand the most powerful thing that we have einstein referred to it as the eighth wonder of the world is the remarkable effect of compound interest. Yeah. Yeah. So just simply understanding what that does and why it is such a powerful tool. You don't have to take massive risks. You just do sensible things, but start early and understand the timing of it. Away you go. I completely agree. I mean, I guess I kick myself. I didn't really understand it. But I mean, here's a little story about compound interest. I started my career in Yellow Pages. I mean, I can't remember how much I got paid, but I know it was, we're talking 10, 20,000 pounds. It wasn't massive amounts of money. But when I left, I managed to lose my pension and then I've tracked it down from Yellow Pages days. So I don't know what my contributions were, but thanks to compound interest, I'm looking at it going, well, actually, the few pennies I did put in there have turned into quite a nice little sum, to be honest with you. So absolutely. That, again, is something which I then talk to my kids about. Say, well, look, this is why you should start a pension scheme now. It's really interesting. Well, look, I mean, I think if we can kind of pick up on these themes for me as a customer, and I guess for your other clients, I think it would be fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to exploring these things over the next 12 months. So, Me too, me too. Intergenerational stuff, I think it's quite interesting because we're talking here about our children, but also... We are the sandwich generation, aren't we? Yeah. And then you've got our parents, if your parents are still with you and all the rest of it. And we aren't very good at talking about money, are we? No, I mean, I think culturally, I read somewhere that people would rather talk about death than money. Yeah. We're not trained to talk about money. I mean, I think it's a real taboo subject. Yeah. But, you know, I've got three kids. You've got even more, Dave. <laughs> The nil rate ban, which is the amount that you can pass on without paying tax, which is £325,000 for each of us, with a 40% inheritance tax liability, HMRC, the government, is going to get twice as much as any one of my single children. They'll all get 20%, the government will get 40%. Yeah. You know, but if we're not talking about that with our parents or whatever, and making sure that there's structure and thought gone into it and how we deal with it, then you know it's silly. So we've got to kind of 
get rid of that taboo and actually find ways to actually have those conversations and start thinking about what we do with it. So I think it works both up and down the generations, actually. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's been great to chat. So thank you so much. And, you know, as I say, I'm really looking forward to exploring these themes over the next 12 months. Excellent. Good to see you, Dave. Thanks for tuning in to Baseline, a monthly podcast series dedicated to topics that matter in wealth management. Be sure to check out our podcast archive on SoundCloud. And until next time, have a marvellous week. You have been listening to Baseline from Cavendish Ware, an NMD Plus production.